Um, this is, as I said, first Sunday back to regular schedule, and um, this is the time of year when, when it feels like some things are starting over. Like I said, it's almost like another New Year's, uh, kind of in the midst of the year. And it's back to school time. We've been reminded for several weeks that it's back to school time. And so most of us now have, have endured and gotten through that beginning, that first hump of back to school. And, and, and a, a lot of things feel like they're starting over. This is also a time, though, when I feel like there are a lot of Christians, a lot of, of churchgoers, we'll say, who kind of think about church the same way they think about school. Uh, summer uh, has, has come and gone, and now it's the time of year that I, I always encounter people around this time of the year, the, the end of July, the beginning of August, and maybe I'll run into somebody who hasn't been to church in a long time, and I always, on the inside, I kind of laugh because as soon as they see the preacher, without me even asking, they have to begin to explain to me why they haven't been at church, and, and I feel sorry for them. <laughs> Because I want to go, you don't have to do that. Um, you, you, don't, you don't have to explain that to me. I didn't, I didn't ask. I'm not trying to guilt you. But people, people feel that. And, um, and I encounter a lot of people who say, you know what? I'm, I'm coming back to church. This is, this is almost like the back to church season. At the same time, it's back to school season, right? And Because a lot of people think about uh, church that way. Um, but a lot of people don't also for as many people as I've had conversations with that say, Hey, it's time I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. I hadn't been to church in a while. I've been distracted. I've been busy, but I'm coming back. There's even more people who have no desire to come back, who have no desire to, to, to be here. And, and there's lots of different reasons for that. And we could speculate on all of those, but I want to I, I ask you a question for you to answer in your mind, and I want you to answer out loud. But if someone were to ask you, why should I come to church? Why should, why should I come? How would you answer? Just think about it for a moment. You encounter somebody like that, Maybe somebody you, you, you haven't seen in a long time and say, hey, I'd love, I'd love for you to love to have you back at church. And, and if they were just bold enough to ask you, well, why, why should I come? What's the big deal? Would you have an answer? Or, or would you have a good answer? Like, I don't want you to come back because you, you feel guilty because you're talking to me, and that's what people do when they see me. They're like, oh, I feel guilty. It's the preacher. I hadn't been to church. I need to tell him I'm coming back and explain to him why I haven't been there. Like, that's not really what I want. Don't do that for me. What would your answer be? I want us to look in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. And um, while you're turning there, I, I want to give you a little background about the book of Hebrews in general. It can be a difficult book to study. Um, and it, it's written by an unknown author. Scholars don't know conclusively because the author doesn't name himself. They don't know exactly who would have written the, the letter to the Hebrews. But we do know that the primary audience that the letter was written to was Jewish 
believers in Jesus. These are, these are Christians who were once Jews, not Gentiles. And it, it's obvious when you read uh, Hebrews because um, there's a theme to the whole book of Hebrews. And the theme is that Jesus has brought a new way, a better way than the old covenant, better than the law. And Jesus has completed every work required to give us full access to the presence of God. It's a, it, it's a letter to the Jews to say, look, if you haven't figured it out by now, and, and, and it's a letter to Jewish believers who believe in Jesus, reminding them of the fact that the way Jesus has brought is new and better in every way than the old covenant. The sacrificial system, everything, Jesus has, has fulfilled every bit of it. And, and where there used to be a veil between the presence of God and the people, there's no veil any longer, and that's because of Jesus. And so Hebrews is all about reminding these Jewish believers of this truth, and you say, well, well, if they're already believers, why do they need to be reminded of these things? Well, when you read and study, you realize that, that this was a time of great persecution. This was the beginning of the early church. This, was this letter was probably written around uh, between 65 and 70 A.D. And so this was a time of great persecution, especially from Rome. And the believers then, the Jewish believers, were not only being persecuted by Rome, but they were being persecuted by the Jews, by other Jews who were saying, I can't believe you're following after this. You've, you've abandoned God. By following after these, these people and following after the teachings of this man that we killed and murdered because he blasphemed God. So they're facing persecution all around them. And the people that the, that the letter to the Hebrews is written to are a people who are greatly discouraged and they're considering giving up on Jesus. They're considering giving up, and, they, and what they're thinking is, would it be better, the, the persecution from Rome, the persecution from the rest of the Jewish nation, would it be better if I just went back to the old way? Wouldn't it be better, maybe it would be better and easier, the Jews would get off my back, at least the Romans kind of tolerated us as Jews, like, like we'll, maybe it's better to just go back to that. And the writer of Hebrews is screaming to them, no, <laughs> no, you can't, you can't do that, you can't quit, because you're outside the veil, you're, you, you were outside the veil, but now you're inside. Like, everything that Christ has done, that what you have is so much better. The way they were feeling in that day was, it was I, I think, very similar as Hebrews in the book of Exodus, you remember after Moses delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and they were enduring the time in the wilderness, what did they say at one point to Moses? Did you bring us out here just so we could die? We, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Right? You remember? This is kind of the same spirit. This is the kind, they're, they're struggling. There's persecution on all sides, and they're thinking, maybe we should just go back to where we were before. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to convince them, 
that they can't go back to the old way. That they have to persevere through the trouble. And, and because what they have in Christ, even through the trouble, is still better than anything they had before. Right? And so he is, he, he, the, the writer is trying to encourage them this way. So with all of that background, this is, this is the, the thought through the whole book of Hebrews. I want us to just look at three verses this morning. And because this is kind of that back to school, back to church feeling, I think this is the perfect time for us to just simply remember why we come together as a church And to maybe answer that question for somebody, somebody, maybe even a believer, somebody who hasn't been to church in a long time and they're beginning to think, well, I've gotten used to not being at church and it's not that bad. Why should I come back? Why should, or why should I stay even? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. This is what we'll read together. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching." So for you note takers, there's just a couple of big points this morning. Why would the writer of Hebrews say, don't neglect gathering together? Well, the first thing is in verse 23. We come together to hold on to Jesus. We come together to hold on to Jesus. Now, you you say, well, where does it say that? Here's where it says that. Verse 23, the writer of Hebrews encourages the believers to hold on. To hold on to what, does he say? Hold on to the confession of our hope. So we have to read that verse and pick it apart. He says, hold on. Hold on to what? The confession of our hope. Well, what is our hope? Jesus. Who is our hope? Christ is our hope. The gospel is our hope. The good news, the fact that we were separated from God, sinners with no hope of being reconciled to him, but in his love and his grace and and his mercy, he sent his son as as a perfect sacrifice to where there was no more need for a sacrificial system anymore. The blood of Jesus covered all of our sins and he made a way for us to be reconciled to him through the forgiveness that came through the blood of Jesus. And now, now there's a new and better way. And that way is available for anybody. Amen. It, that, that's our hope. It's the promise of salvation. It's the promise of redemption. And it's the promise of eternity. The fact that there's eternal life waiting for those who believe and that eternal life starts the moment we put our faith in Christ. We don't have to sit and wait around for it. It's not, it's not something that we're just sitting in the suffering waiting for the abundant life to come. Jesus said, I've come to give you the abundant life right now. Yeah. It starts the minute you put your faith in me. That's our hope. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hold on to that hope. 
Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to Jesus. Well, how are we to hold on to it? He says to hold on to that hope without wavering. Now, maybe that's the hard part. (laughs) Without wavering. He says to be firm, steady, and be faithful. And I'm sure that the, Hebrew, that the, that the Jewish believers who were, who were reading this letter, maybe in the midst of all their trouble, said, how are we going to hold on firmly and unwavering to the promise when our life is full of so much trouble? When there's so much stress around us, when there's so much persecution, that may be what some of us are thinking this morning. That sounds great. I want to be able to hold on to my hope unwavering. But you don't know what's going on around me. You don't know what kind of life I'm living and and enduring. And you don't know the things that are coming against me. How, How am I supposed to do that? Well, I think he tells us in verse 23. He says, hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since... He who promised is faithful. Since he who promised is faithful, the promise maker is the promise keeper. Right? God is a maker of lots of promises. There are so many in his word. And there's not one time that God ever made a promise that he didn't fulfill. Never, ever, ever. And that's, that's, what, that's what he's reminding these believers of. He says, we can be faithful to Jesus because Jesus is faithful. That's that's something you can write down and remember on the next thing. We can be faithful to Jesus because Jesus is faithful. Y'all, I am not faithful to Jesus in my faith. I I, I can't endure and be faithful to him because of me. If I'm relying on me and the way I feel... And how faithful I can be day in and day out, then then I'm not going to be unwavering. I'm wavering all over the place when I'm relying on me. The only reason I can be faithful to Jesus is because Jesus is faithful. He's faithful first. He is the one who's made the promise. And when he saved me, he made a promise and he sealed my life in him. And made a promise that nothing could separate me from him any longer. And that for the ones who persevere and the ones that endure to the end, there's a reward. There's a treasure. There's eternity. And eternity is all about the presence of Jesus. It's being in the presence of God. Eternity is not about heaven and pearly gates and all the stuff that we think about heaven. It's about Jesus. It's about being with him. That's why he said, I go to prepare a place for you so that if I come back, I'll receive you unto myself so that where I am, you will be also. Jesus, to Jesus, heaven is all about us being with him. It's about, his, it's about our presence with him. And so he's saying, look, it, I know it's hard. He said, I know life is difficult right now, but hold on to the hope of Jesus because Jesus is the only thing that you have to hold on to that won't waver, that won't change. The promises are true and they're real. If you flip back earlier in the letter to Hebrews chapter 6, 
This is what he says in verses 19 and 20. We have this hope as a what? An anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Troubles come. Storms come. But the writer of Hebrews says we have to hold on to the hope And the hope of Jesus is unwavering. And because Jesus is unwavering, we can hold on to him and our hope can be unwavering too. So this is is the challenge. This is the appeal to say life is hard. Like, and, And the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that. It's hard and there's lots of trouble around you. But this is what you must do in the midst of that trouble. You've got to hold on to Jesus. And hold on to that hope. And this is part of why we gather together. And the second big point will help us understand, well, why is it that we have to come to church to to hold on to that? We come together not just to hold on to Jesus, but we come together to hold on to each other. Because me left alone to myself, it's way harder to hold on to Jesus by myself. I need other people to hold on to me. I need to hold on to other people. You notice that the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop in verse 23. And he says, hold on to the hope of Jesus unwavering through whatever trouble. That's what you're supposed to do, so figure it out. I'm so glad that's not what he said. But he continues in verse 24 and 25 and says, I know that's hard, but how uh, this is what you must do. But God has given you something, one of the greatest gifts that we have, to be able to endure that, to be able to hold on to that hope, and that is his church. Verse 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. So he says, as you're trying to hold on to your hope unwavering, don't just think about yourself. Verse 24 says, Consider other people. Consider one another and provoke each other to love and good works. My fellowship with God was never meant to be self-centered. Your fellowship with God was never meant to be isolated, and your relationship and fellowship with God was never meant to be centered all in you. What did Jesus say were the two greatest commandments when he was asked? To love God Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, he said the law and the prophets are all summed up in these two things. Folks, love is a product of community. 
Love is a, is a community activity. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We know that verse. Then these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we talked about before why Paul says the greatest of those three is love. But another reason that love is the greatest is because faith and hope are things that you can practice by yourself. Can't practice love by yourself. Love requires people. Love requires other people. And so when Paul says there's faith and there's hope and love, but the greatest of these is love, I think what he's pointing to is community. He says you, you can be a loner. You can be isolated. You can, you can live out in the woods somewhere and practice faith and, and, and practice hope, but you can't love because love is an action. It's something that's extended to other people. It's something that we do in community. So to fulfill Jesus' greatest commandment for my life, I need people. And you need people. To be faithful to Jesus, to obey, we need each other. So he says we must consider one another as we're holding on to the hope of Jesus. He says don't forget one another. Consider one another and incorporate one another into our perseverance. That you're having to endure a lot of, a lot of trouble and you're, and you're persevering in the hope of Jesus. But you have to do it with other people. You need other people. And he says to do that through provoking or stirring up each other toward love and good works. That word, your Bible may say, uh, the, the CSB that I read says, says um, provoking, I think. Um, to provoke love and good works. Your Bible may say stirring up in each other. That Greek word is actually a Greek word that's usually used in a negative context because it's a word that means to incite or to, or to um, irritate. It's the kind of word that literally means to irritate or incite as in like a riot. Like what we see people do on the news all the time. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews uses this word. It's the same word that, that would be used to describe somebody who, who, ugh, I can't even think of the words, to incite a riot. Somebody who would start a riot and he uses that same word to say that's how you should be motivating each other to love and good works. To incite that in each other. Here's another thing I want you to write down in your notes. Perseverance is impossible without partnership. Perseverance is impossible without partnership. I think this is what the writer is trying to get at here in this is you have to persevere in your faith, holding on to your hope, but you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. That's why you have to consider one another and stir up each other to love, which is the greatest commandment, which has to be carried out through relationships with other people. To love 
to provoke love and good works among you. That's part of how you hold on to your hope and hold on to Jesus. You remind each other of how important it is. And how do I remind you to hold on to the hope of Jesus by loving you and encouraging you and provoking you to go out and do good things in the world in the name of Jesus? Perseverance is impossible without partnership. Many of us are familiar with the California redwoods. Redwood trees. If you've ever, I've never visited those national parks out on the West Coast. I've never seen in Has anybody ever been and seen like redwoods in person? Like, okay, some of y'all have. Okay, so some of y'all will, will be able to testify as to whether I'm telling the truth or not. But this is, this is what we've read that, that redwoods can grow as high as 300 feet. High. Some, some, some is as high as 350 feet. How deep do you think the roots of a redwood tree go? The roots of a, of a 300-foot redwood tree don't go any deeper into the ground than between 3 to 12 feet deep. A 300-foot tall tree, the roots only go most maybe six to eight feet under the ground. I want to show you a picture, which is sort of a diagram. You say, how is it that the California redwoods can stay there for thousands of years and, and, and be so firm and so solid? It's because even though their roots only maybe go six to eight feet under the ground, they, th- they can extend outwardly over 100 feet from the base of its tree. And if you could go and see a redwood forest and if you could get under the ground, what you would see is that all of their roots, though they're shallow underground, they all spread out among each other and all of their roots are all intertwined with each other. They're all connected. That's where they get their strength from. It's not because their roots go deep into the ground. It's because they are literally holding on to one another. That's, that's it. That, that's just this beautiful picture. Their strength comes from each other because their roots are woven together and they are literally holding each other up. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 says, From him, meaning Christ, the whole body, fitted in what? Knit together. By every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is why we need each other. Because the storms that come, it doesn't matter how deep we try to dig our roots individually in our own faith. Storms can come. But if we're not connected to other believers, if there's not a system, if our faith doesn't stretch out into the lives and the roots of other people, and we're not intertwined together, when the storm comes to the tree that's, that's isolated by itself, it doesn't matter how deep the roots go. If the storm's bad enough, it will uproot it. But the trees that have lasted for a thousand years or more, 
are the ones that their roots are all intertwined together. You see that picture? We come together so that we can draw strength from both Jesus and our partnership in the gospel. So Hebrews 10, 25 says, Don't neglect the coming together. As some would. As some are in the habit of doing. So even in Hebrews, even in the time of the first century church, there were those who were pulling away. There were those who were, who were struggling to endure the, the persecution. And they, they began to think, it's not even worth it. I'll give, I have to give credit to my wife for this little visual um, because she shared it with me and I thought it was so good. Um, there's one, one rock. I don't know that you can see it because I'm up so high, so I want to show you. Like, There's one. When I'm trying to be unwavering by myself... Like, I'm not good enough, and I don't think anybody would be good enough to keep that glass holding steady. Now, it's empty, and I can't do that. Can you imagine how hard it would be when my life gets full of trouble, (laughs) full of difficulty, What's going to happen, I'm trying to, I'm trying to not make a big mess, okay? <laughs> but what's going to happen is there's no way for this thing to hold stable. When it's empty, or especially when it's full, there's no way. But there's more rocks. This is why you need the church. Verse 25, some some preachers will use verse 25 as a guilt mechanism. If somebody asks the question, well, why should I come to church? Some people will use Hebrews 10, 25 and say, well, because the Bible says, don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together as some is in the habit of doing. Or some are in the habit of doing. And sometimes verse 25, we can misunderstand it as 20th century Christians. What the writer of Hebrews in verse 25 is saying is not come to church like this. Because church like this didn't exist in AD 65, 70. You know what? The gathering together he was talking about, he wasn't talking about a big church, a big building where hundreds of people would come in together and be a part of a service. That didn't happen until almost, it would be 250 years almost later in 313 when Emperor Constantine, who was the Roman emperor, converted to Christianity and all of a sudden he made it not um, illegal practically to be a Christian. And it wasn't until after 313 
that churches like this began to show up. Big buildings. Constantine said, let's build big churches. And they started to build big churches and people would come. But when this letter was written, they gathered together in all sorts of places. And they gathered together in small groups. They met in homes. They met in the marketplaces. They would, they would gather together at the temple. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is don't stop coming together. It's not, about, it's, it's not all about a church service. And if we read Hebrews 10.25 and think all that is is a, is a rule that says, well, don't quit coming to church. It's way deeper than that. That command in Hebrews 10.25 is so much deeper. It's not just come to a big corporate service. Because, folks, I'll tell you, you can, chum, you can come to church and still forsake the gathering. You can come in here and sit down and still forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Because it's not about the place or the size. It's about your heart. And it's about the roots So if somebody were to ask me, why, why should I come to church? I'll tell them why I come to church. Because I need to hold on to Jesus. Because life is hard. And the only way I can hold on to Jesus and the only way I can be strong enough to hold on to that hope of what Jesus has told me is true is I need the strength that comes from you. And you need the strength that comes from me. And we have to regularly gather together to remind each other that the hope of the gospel is real and true and unwavering. 